0: We come to this place for magic. We come to movies last night to laugh, to cry, to care. Because we need that. All of us. That indescribable feeling we get when the lights begin to dim and we go somewhere we've never been before. Not just entertained, but somehow reborn together. Dazzling images on a huge silver screen. Sound that I can feel. Somehow, heartbreak feels good in a place like this. Our heroes feel like the best part of us, and the stories feel perfect and powerful. Because here, they are. Movies Last Night. We make movies better.
1: I'm a little nervous about this one just because it's so like, (laughs) yeah. there's a lot going on. And we're live. Welcome back to Movies Last Night. It's been a little while. We missed last week's recording. It's the first time in our history that we didn't have an episode because I was on vacation. So just like to apologize to everybody. You know, it was probably devastated that they didn't have a new
0: episode. It probably ruined a lot of people's weeks. I was devastated for them to not have to listen to my horrible voice. Apologies, everyone.
1: Sincere apologies from Eric. Eric, I do want to start this episode with a slight little... Um, You know when in newspapers where they have like that omissions section?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: I kind of want to do that because on the last episode, we were talking about the movie The Highlander. And I think I got a little confused. (laughs) (laughs) I was under the impression that there was two types of Highlander. There was the Highlander and then the Kurgan. And the Kurgan, I thought, was a type of immortal, but the Kurgan is actually just a guy. He's just actually an evil immortal. So the other day, I started watching Highlander on HBO. (laughs) Ooh, man. Which is an interesting, interesting movie. I didn't finish it, so I finished reading the plot synopsis because I haven't seen it since I was a little kid. Does it hold up? It's shot really interestingly, almost like Legend by Ridley Scott or like Blade Runner, even by Ridley Scott. They have that kind of look. So they have that like hyper stylized music video look. that that's how the highlander is shot and it's pretty impressively shot actually at the beginning of the movie conor mcleod is at a wrestling match at madison square gardens this is pre-drones so they must have little remote control helicopters with cameras on that fly over the wrestling crowd and it's really impressive so conor mcleod has this big fight in the the parking garage of madison square gardens with another immortal this is how it works conor mcleod when he was back in scotland gets stabbed in a fight right and then what happens is he heals and he doesn't know he's a mall. And everybody in the in the town's like, oh, you're a total witch. Like this is really bad. So he gets banished. Then he bumps into Sean Connery's character who's called Ramirez, <laughs> which is hilarious
0: because I used to remember his entire name. Um I, I could I can't bring it up now.
1: I Can't remember his what his whole name is either. But it's just funny that it's in Scotland and then the main character they pick to be the Scottish Highlander is Is he French? Is he French? Uh Lambert. Christopher Lambert. I think he is French, maybe Belgian or something. But anyway, so how it works is he's kind of like takes himself on a, in a mentor role and he explains to me, he goes, hey, some people are just born immortal. But the problem with being immortal is we've all been sworn into this kind of an age old war where we have to like battle each other and there's a prize. And when you win the prize at the end of the thing, because they can only be the one, high, like immortal, not Highlander, you can only be one immortal. And then you have good immortals and bad immortals. The reason it's imperative that a good immortal wins is because the power that you receive after absorbing all these other powers could be detrimental to the fate of humanity. That that makes sense. Ultimately ends up winning. And what happens when he ends up winning, spoilers for the Highlander, is he actually becomes mortal, so he can actually have children. He can read the thoughts and feelings of everybody in the world. Therefore, when he ultimately wins... He can do good for society. Now, that does not explain Highlander 2, because I'm pretty sure Sean Connery's in Highlander (laughs) 2, and I have no idea what goes on. But the music, I believe, is better in Highlander 2 than it is in 1, and the soundtrack's all Queen, which is pretty cool.
0: Yeah, I was going to say the the first one was like all scored by Queen, I believe.
1: And I think the second one is too, because I think the second one has It's a Kind of Magic in it, you know, the Queen song, which is a banger. I just think it's a pretty good movie.
0: I, I don't remember the second one. Oh, it goes into the future. Oh, is that the one with their hoverboards or whatever?
1: <laughs> I don't know. I I can't I can't remember very much. I remember it being totally bonkers, crazy. So it might actually be worth a watch. Then it kind kind of goes downhill after that, you know. But pretty interesting story.
0: Yeah, I like the first one just because of Clancy Brown, the Kurgan. That character is so great. One of the one of the better villains um out there.
1: Yeah, he's super cool,
0: and his his he has gr- yeah he has great one-liners like oh my name's Candy, and he, of course, of course, of <laughs> course you are or whatever like that. So I mean, just just completely ridiculous. But I I kind of remember that the main prize after you kill everybody and you win is basically you get to die. And I'm thinking to myself, why would you? Why would you want to win? Why at that point? Just go, just go, be a recluse and influential some other way or whatever you know but you just get to die i I don't know seems i don't know why any of them would fight for it i think it's probably the curse of being having everlasting life like we think it's
1: probably a great idea until the reality sets in it made me think of you just watched um the sandman didn't you did you watch the full season
0: i have like three episodes left yeah
1: have you seen the one where he meets the the guy oh he he makes that bet and then he makes that guy a mole.
0: He lasts and he lives forever. No, the last one I watched was called. I think it was. Tw- it was the one after twenty four seven when they do the whole thing in the diner. I-, I watched the episode after that, which I think they introduced the Constantine character.
1: I've seen them out of sequence.
0: Anyway, they do play around with the notion of immortality in that
1: episode I'm describing, and, and they do it in a really interesting way. It's pretty fun because we have a character that can't die, and it's funny. He checks in with him every like a hundred years or whatever. You see him go through the ages. He keeps waiting for this guy. Kate, please make me mortal again. That's the bet is that eventually somebody like you're going to be like, I don't, I don't want to live anymore. But this guy, no matter what happens to him, which is like rags to riches to <laughs> rags to riches through the centuries, he's still like, oh no, uh, it's, I still want to do it. It's really good. Keeps waiting for him to be like, I've had enough. I've had enough. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty cleverly done. <laughs>
0: I mean that i would I would say the Highlander deserves a a complete reboot. I think it deserves a reboot, yeah, yeah i I mean they did the television show, obviously, which people love, you know, I mean there's a certain amount of campiness to it, but um, I think they could do it justice today, but I also think that they would find a way to completely mess it up too <laughs> if somebody like did a really good job of it, I
1: think it could be pretty interesting, other than that, Eric. Since I've been gone for the week, what have I missed? Have you watched anything good? Have Have you watched anything that I, <laughs> you know, don't know about?
0: I um I try I I I don't want to say I tried. I started to watch uh, rewatch Shutter Island, and I just I I fell asleep. Um, I was probably just exhausted. I fell asleep about twenty minutes into it. Uh, it's 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 kind of funny rewatching that. I mean, I know everything that happens in it, and you it's been a while since I've seen it. So you get like all those little extra clues that they give you in the beginning. So it was like really interesting kind of getting to see all that again. But uh, it's weird. I don't know if it's just the way it's shot, but it's like the green screen stuff that they use is so out of date and ridiculous looking. And in the beginning, uh, DiCaprio is so kind of over the top with his acting in it that it it almost, and, and where Ruffalo is downplaying his acting it's it's kind of it's it's kind of out of tone it feels or like off off tone or something like that it's like they're they're both in two different movies i don't know um i'm gonna i'm gonna finish it just because uh i think it's a good movie um other than that eh, i haven't really i haven't really caught anything uh when you're gone really i just I haven't had any
1: time yeah no that makes perfect sense we both watched The Stranger of the Weekend. I know that much. Is it The Stranger or Stranger?
0: I think it's The Stranger. Not to be confused with The Strangers. The uh, horror movie? Yeah. What did you think? I was really looking forward to th- I was really hyped on this movie just because of uh, uh, Joel, Joel Edgerton and uh, Sam Harris, who you'd recognize both of them, obviously. Is it Sean Harris? Sean Harris. Sean Harris. S-E-A-N, I believe, John Harris. He was uh he played Ian Curtis in Twenty Four Hour Party People. He was in The Green Knight. He was a King Arthur, I think, in the Green Knight. You'd recognize him from a handful of things. You know, he has a very kind of distinct face. And everybody knows. I would at least hope that everybody knows who uh Edgerton is. Super interesting uh film style. I mean, it 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 look it's beautifully shot. It looks so beautiful. Um, set in uh it's an Australian crime story. And the the premise of it is so crazy to me as I was watching it. It's basically this super elaborate sting operation to get a criminal to confess to a murder. It kind of goes, it spans the whole thing, and it's about how uh edgerton just gets so or at least from his perspective he gets so enveloped into the role of being an undercover officer that he almost his his personality and and everything almost ab- absorbs into into this uh persona that he has created and he's having problems kind of sleeping and and coping with all kind of the stresses of the job and the person that he is going after he is basically a partner with which is uh, the Sam Harris character so uh it's really it's a really kind of interesting story that gets a little bit convoluted at times because there's a couple different things that are happening there one there's the undercover operation and then there's a uh, investigation that coincides with it and, and they don't obviously know about the undercover operation. And it's like two different teams trying to solve the same murder and how it all kind of comes to a head uh, based on a true story. And I, I, the book is called The Sting. And I couldn't give you the author's name because it's a it's kind of difficult to pronounce, but you could look it up. It, but apparently it was like a huge case in, um, in Australia, like a, a massive case but the lengths that they go to to solve it are, are just it's so crazy to me. Um I liked it, but then I I, I liked it a lot because I just like procedurals, but that's basically what it is. It's just a procedural movie that doesn't have a huge payoff. It does resolve pretty much everything, but it it I don't think it resolves it in the way that is super satisfying.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think the ending in spoilers ahead for the stranger So I'll just say that now, in case anybody wants to go and watch it. I think the ending is the the weakest link of the movie. I think the beginning of the movie is fascinating. The setup before we even find out about Sean Harris's character in in the fact that he's like potentially wanted for the 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 murder of this child. Before we find out what what's going on with Joel Edgerton's character and the fact that it is an entrapment kind of situation where they're trying to like coax information out of him. Hyper fascinating, wonderfully shot movie. When they introduce that. Counter storyline for Sean Harris's character. The reveal of it is just very like, oh, they just kind of throw it out within the first third of the movie, which I think is too soon. To let the the relationship between Edgerton and Harris develop, it's such a fascinating relationship and he's such a fascinating character that they could have saved that reveal for later on and it would have been more effective, I think, because we already know something's off with him. And I think to let the audience have more time with that character because he's so weird such a good job you did with this performance it's so fascinating i think it does the movie a disservice when it just shows its cards really early on like
0: that i think it's also probably about 20 minutes too long it's it's too it's a solid two hours and i think they could have pared it down to like hour 40 and it would have been perfect
1: yeah tightened it up a
0: bit yeah just tightened it up just just a little bit i mean but it is gorgeous to look at and oh god the- yeah I watched it with headphones. I don't know if you watched it with headphones or not. I
1: actually was going to text you when I started watching it because I wasn't sure if you started yet, and I was going to say headphones on.
0: Sound sound design is like is amazing, amazing what they're doing with like sound design, and uh, when you get like those little exchanges between uh, Edgerton and his son when there's ta- when he's talking about breathing and and there's a lot of kind of play with like good and eat like, letting out evil and breathing in good sort of thing that it plays with the dialogue and it plays with the sound. And, and, and there's this like strange atmospheric distortion that, that is in certain scenes that just like is so killer is like so killer. I mean, I, it's almost like on par with like that Dune uh, sound design. It was just like, it, it is, it makes the movie It, it is so much a part of the movie um i i mean definitely if you if you have the opportunity and you have a, like a good set of headphones i would say throw them on and, and uh watch it one because the accents are are a little bit tough sometimes so you you could kind of like tune into those but the sound design is like on par with like anything
1: oh 100 percent they do this really cool thing where, so we know that the the car that Joel Edgerton drives around in, oh yeah, 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 is wired for sound always. So we we have like the undercover crew listening to all the conversations that are going on within the car between Edgerton and Harris. And the movie does this really clever thing where it switches dialogue track to the voice recording sometimes in in different sections, but it'll flip back, and it's really effective. It's so good the way they do it. And yeah, I agree with you. And it's funny that we are going to be talking about the new movie with Kate Blanchett. That's the main episode uh, today. And that movie has very, very interesting sound design too. So it was nice to watch this also. And I think we talked about this a few weeks ago. The more I'm starting to watch movies and pay attention to the sound now, it's one less distraction at home because I could shut everything out and just have the sound. It's a huge thing. I highly recommend people do it. I really, really do. Even if you're watching a movie on a laptop or even on your cell phone, heaven forbid. <laughs> but if you are, Just the act of isolating yourself and isolating the audio makes the experience infinitely better straight off the bat, regardless of what kind of screen you have and what time of day you watch it. So that's a huge recommend for me to do that.
0: I mean, if you can't see it like in a well-designed Dolby setting, you know, yeah, headphones are the way to go. I mean, I, I have a pretty good setup. I have a nice like sound bar system. I don't have like a surround sound system. But I mean, it, it's pretty good. But if I have the opportunity, I'll just throw the the headphones on because uh, I think it makes a difference. You're better off purchasing a good set of
1: headphones than you are spending the money on on, on a lackluster like 5.1 setup where it's, it's all the wires and all the headache. Then you have to deal with the fact that your room's not treated and, you, and like your room's not isolated. A good cheap way of Getting a better experience is to invest in headphones. Yeah, 100%. 100%. So the director of the movie is called Thomas M. Wright, and I looked him up as we were talking there. He is an actor, first and foremost, Australian actor, and he's done a lot of crime procedurals. Surprise, surprise. There you go. And he was actually a recurring character in Top of the Lake, which is the Jane Campion. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Procedural.
0: Yeah, I really like that.
1: He's obviously cut his teeth working with top of the line talent. And he's obviously a good actor, and when you see his face, you might recognize him. So he's obviously took those chops and applied it to his own procedural. And I'd be very interested to see what he does in the future because great start. He's done one movie before this, but I think this is probably his first main main um, directorial movie.
0: Yeah, it was up at um, I think it debuted at Cannes. I I believe
1: it was on the up for official selection for the Jury's Grand Prize. Yeah, so that's great coming up coming out like that with him. And what's interesting is, is another connection to Tar is that this is an actor turned director, an actor who worked with good directors. Yeah. Because Todd Field, as we will talk about with Tar, he worked with Kubrick. He was in Eyes Wide Shut as an actor and he's been around for a long time. So I suppose with him being an actor too, I think that's also why the performances are so good in The Stranger. And he's obviously handpicked. Honestly, I think two of the best working actors today, I think Sean Harris is easily one of the greatest actors working today, and he's highly underrated, in my opinion.
0: Uh, I was going to say, yeah, like very underrated. Yeah, he's phenomenal in this. I almost want to say, regrettably, I, I probably think he doesn't get the roles he should just because of how kind of distinct his face looks. He has a super... Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how to like politely put it, but I mean, he's he has a very... I don't want to say odd face, but it's just like a very kind of distinct and strange face. He's got a very unique look. It might typecast him for in certain roles. I don't know. I don't know.
1: Okay. So yeah, that's a big recommend. So The Stranger is streaming on Netflix currently. Huge recommend from Eric and I.
0: It just dropped. So um, I think you might have to search for it. I don't know if it's on the, the launch page or not. I don't know if they're pushing it that much right now.
1: It's It's number two. Uh, for movies and streaming, Is it? yeah. Oh, okay. But I don't think that's going to last. I think it's going to disappear pretty quick in terms of like front page viewable view, however the algorithm works. This could have been in my top 10 for the year. It, it isn't. It didn't nail it, but it, it had the potential. You know, Eric and I, love we love crime thrillers and we both on have like a weird affinity for Australian crime thrillers. So- <laughs> They they do it the best, man. I'm telling you. I think they do. I honestly think, I would say them and the Koreans-
0: Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm that's probably the two best which is a weird thing to say but yeah, yeah. anyway Uh um, <laughs> okay so we're going to be talking about tar today which just released it hasn't released nationwide yet but at least it's here in tennessee i don't think it's released in all states as of right now but it came out of the weekend now tar starring cape Blanchett, directed by todd field is it todd field
0: yeah yeah i believe so
1: now this movie has been on my radar for quite some time how about you eric
0: uh, i was interested in it like as soon as the first trailer dropped i was like this is gonna be insane whatever this is it is gonna be completely insane and um it was it was too hard to nail down just by the trailer alone i had no idea what i was walking into
1: yeah the trailer is very enigmatic there's two trailers And if you've had a chance to see the trailers, you'll know what we're talking about. What's interesting is is the movie, as we'll get into, the trailers are, I wouldn't say deceiving, but they... They definitely kind of sell a different movie than you end up getting with this movie, which isn't a bad thing. And I was actually not disappointed by it at all, but the trailers are very, very good. And I did, I was reading this the other day, Eric, I I wanted to tell you, because we were talking about the trailer and the difference. Apparently in the second trailer, there's a lot of footage in the second trailer that they just cut out the movie altogether. That's not in the movie. Oh,
0: really? Yeah. I mean, I got, I got a lot of, uh almost dreamscape uh almost like a dreamscape type movie uh vibe from it i was expecting to go into it with like a heavy kind of terrence malick like overdubbing like exposition uh, heavy film that was going to happen you know where you just get like this this amazing s- landscape shots with soundscape and and just this the this barrage of like sound and image and stuff like that but it really surprised me
1: the reason this movie was so much on my radar despite the trailer is when it it debuted it debuted at the venice international film festival i think it was in cape ba- uh Cate blanchett won best actress best actor unsurprisingly and the hype for this movie has been really really pushed and based around blanchett's performance you know people like to predict the oscars and they like to predict them even starting in like february march as movies start to release during the end and this movie above all of the movies performance wise the word on the street is Blanchett for best actor best actress as they still categorize it at the oscars and that's part of this big hype that's going around this movie is the central performance which admittedly is staggering and we'll talk about that when we talk about the movie so that's i think that's really the main push of this movie in terms of its marketing and how it's getting press Um, everybody going for that so according to Letterboxd, letterbox here's a plot description for everybody the film set in the international world of classical music centers on Lydia Tarr widely considered one of the greatest living composer slash conductors and first ever female chief conductor of a major German orchestra that's it (laughs) yeah that's it it's funny though because there is a there is a huge plot to this movie as you find out when you start watching it but it the plot description doesn't i mean it, it that, that plot, plot description just gives you the setting but not really the
0: plot. yeah i i would i would say that if someone said hey let's watch a movie this is the plot description of this movie i would i would be like no i'm good i i'm okay i i don't think i need to see that <laughs> because it just sounds it sounds like it would be so dull you know you're like I. I don't know anything about that world. I don't know anything about that music. I mean, I don't mind classical music, but I don't have a knowledge of it. So I, I there's nothing that I would understand in it, really. So just off that description, I would be like, no, I, I'm okay, you know. But because they didn't sell it like that, and they sold it as something else, um, I had no idea that's what it was about going into it. It's already
1: out of the gate, I think whether this framing of it being around classical music and conductors, it's very an obtuse environment for this movie. The story that it tells to be, to put it within the framing of the classical musical world, simply because just like you said, Eric, I think the mass majority of people, especially nowadays don't really have much information about that kind of, like that world and or, usually don't follow it. Now, obviously there's people that do, but Joe Blow, yeah. the average movie goer, the average guy at AMC, in the suburbs, <laughs> is coming in with zero knowledge of this world. The movie is very, very brave in the way that it portrays this without really any explainers or guide. It doesn't really give you like, it just throws you into this world and allows you and trusts you to be, okay, I'm going to f- I'm gonna figure out what's going on and I'm going to stay along with this story. And it doesn't kind of like pander to you, you know?
0: It lost me in the beginning. It lost me with the information that it was trying to give me in the beginning. I just, I couldn't put... Put like the pieces together completely for probably a, a, at least the first 20 minutes, I think, because there's a there's an opening shot. It does something weird. It gives you an opening shot uh, of a cell phone in a conversation, and then it rolls credits on you like credits that you would watch at the end of a movie. So I'm thinking what it already it kind of throws it. It throws your experience out, out the window out the gate so it's so it's completely disorienting at first because you're you're expecting like a traditional opening but it flips it on you and then 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 your movie starts and you're getting you're getting like visuals of someone watching Lydia work and conduct and like the whole thing and I didn't follow how I was supposed to Interpret like whatever that character was, and you and you don't kind of find out until later on what what is going on there and then there's this interview that lasts about ten to fifteen minutes it's like um like a one on one interview if you went to like watch an artist speak about their process and stuff like that because she's she's on a she's going on a book tour uh basically, and this is kind of the start of a book tour, and she is starting a new symphony. Uh, that she is gonna perform. That's like one of the most difficult that has ever been done before. Apparently, I don't know. <laughs> I don't even know if symphony is the right word for it. To be honest, I think you it know? is a symphony. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. is it? I, I don't know. Uh, but th- there's this whole dialogue back and forth where there's a a ton of like name drops of different composers, different uh, classical composers and conductors, and like process and and I was. For the most part, I was really lost in in that conversation. But what was really interesting and, and hypnotic was how Blanchett sold it to you. And if you just focus in on her performance and what she's trying to convey about the character, then it pays off. You know, you don't have to know anything about this world as long as you're invested in the performance that she is trying to put on the screen. And I think I think that is what is going to sell it for people and keep people involved.
1: That's a really good point. I think that's 100% true. I think that if in the hands of somebody who wasn't, well, it's difficult because I don't know who else you would cast in this role. And I'm sure there's a, a ton of other actresses that could pull this off. But there's something about Blanchett's performance in this that you believe that she is Lydia Tarr. So when she is speaking, I'm convinced, or oh, my brain, or oh, the trick is working where I think that is Lydia Tar. I'm not really watching it and watching the performance. Yeah. So in that interview at the beginning, when Lydia is, is responding to these questions and she's dropping this like ton of information, it's like a huge info dump on, the, on the, the viewer immediately. I believe that she knows what she's talking about and that she is that person. Therefore, I'm like, okay, well, I'm learning from you. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's like I'm allowing myself to be educated by Lydia Todd. So I feel like I'm one of the audience members who's like, oh, okay, this, well, this is why you're so celebrated and you clearly know what you're talking about. And that is just staggering as a performance.
0: Yeah. And I think what is really interesting that they do next is, so one, you're it's as if you're an audience member within this uh, interview that's happening. And then you get The second part of that is you get a classroom setting where she is teaching a class too. So you're, it's almost as if you're a student within that classroom as she is giving a lecture and talking to her students. So you're getting kind of even more, even more of an insight to her character and then the process and her expectations and just her psychology too. You're getting, you're getting, so within the about the first thirty minutes of the movie, you're getting pretty much everything you need to know about this character in a thirty minute drop, and then then it goes completely crazy after after that point. Everything just just kind of like spills out and goes wrong, um, in the best possible way. I think.
1: Yeah, totally. It's kind of like a disaster movie
0: in a way. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is. Yeah, we're
1: set, we, we get thrown into this world, and we see how this world works, and then we get to, you know something from the beginning, you know something's off. Something isn't right. Why did we start on the cell phone? Why did the movie open with somebody watching her sleep and commenting on her? You're already uneasy, and then you get the feeling that you're not the only person watching Lydia Tarr. You're not the only person who's paying attention to what she's doing. The 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 movie's always dropping visual cues that there's somebody else there, something's being recorded, somebody's being watched. So you get this very uneasy sensation right off the bat. So, like a disaster movie, in a sense that you know something bad's going to happen. So, you, especially if you've read a plot description for this movie before you go into it, I I mean, it's out there; they're not like hiding what the movie's about. The movie does a good job of, even if you didn't know that, the movie would do a good job of putting you in an uneasy position, and where you're expecting something bad to happen. And as the movie unfolds, it, it it happens, but it goes sometimes at a glacial pace. But then, when it drops, you're so invested that when the disaster really happens, it's kind of like. All-encompassing, and they do a really good job with the build and release of that tension. You know,
0: yeah, lot, a lot of tension in here, and you don't know how it's going to play out. There's so many things kind of going on in this that one, they're very topical. It's almost, uh, it's hard to get into without kind of us a, a spoiling anything. If you're going into it in a in a non-spoiler way, if you're going into it thinking that it is about the ups and downs of a classical composer or someone who works within that world you're kind of wrong it's not going to focus on that it is or if you're going into it wanting to appreciate the music that is happening within that context i think you might be a little bit disappointed because one thing that that we had talked about before is a majority of this movie is silent there's not a lot of music going on there's a there's sound there's a lot of when we talked about it uh earlier there's a lot of things with like sound design and you're you're getting into the psychology of the character because they're super sensitive to sounds and figuring out sounds and they can and she can hear stuff all around her at all times and she's always trying to kind of figure it out so there's not music that is going to help you help guide you through uh what is going on when you should be up when you should be down when you should be expecting something it is very quiet it's very dialogue heavy so you kind of have to prepare yourself going into it knowing that it's going to expect a lot of you initially now i think you will get more out of it on a second viewing because you've under you understand what the movie is at that point. And I think I think I said uh, initially I wasn't going to watch it again for a while, but it's it might be something I want to watch sooner than I thought, just to kind of pick up a bunch of different clues that that I wasn't aware of uh, initially at the beginning.
1: Yeah, I was actually going to ask you that on today's episode if you decided. Because I was in the same boat, we, we actually had that conversation after the movie in the parking lot, the usual, and we, I think we both said, I'm good with not seeing that for a while but that's totally changed for me now. Yeah. Like you, I actually do want to see it sooner rather than later because just like you said, I think there's a lot that I could probably gain from a second viewing with this. A lot of, I could put things together in which does bring us to the point that this movie is two hours and 38 minutes long, which is long. It's a long movie.
0: (laughs) It's a beast of a movie. Yeah. Yeah.
1: A juggernaut. And normally I would say that When you feel a movie's length, when you sit and watch a two, two and a half, three hour movie and it feels like a three, three hour movie, that's not a good sign. Like I usually praise movies where I'm like, yeah, but it was long, but it didn't feel long. This movie is long and it feels long, but that's good. It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like it's overstaying its welcome at any point, at least not to me. I was absorbing it, and I was aware of how long it was taking, but I was enjoying being there for the duration of it.
0: Especially, um, I don't think a, a lot of people, there's certain stuff that happens, and I think at the the ending point of it, a lot of viewers might think that that is tacked on, but it's really not. It is, you're, you're getting a closer look into that character without giving anything away there's a shift in the movie that happens, and, and you're and it's hard to read. Like that last fifteen, I'm thinking fifteen, maybe twenty minutes of the movie. There is there's a shift that kind of happens that you're not sure how you're supposed to kind of interpret it until basically the last shot.
1: Yeah, that yeah, like that coda section. You're right. Mm-hmm. The movie it not only does it change location. That's not a spoiler, but the movie is like a quantum leap from where it starts off to where the character ends up at the end of the movie. And I think yeah, a lot of people might think that that's too long or too weird. There's clues that are given at the beginning of the movie that are answered in that last section. The movie's always bringing up things and it always recovers that ground. So every time a movie the movie gives you like a surrealistic image or like a weird like context clue, the movie does address it, but it takes its sweet time to do it and it but it will do. At least on first viewing, I have to make sure when I watch second time, but I felt like everything that it was dropped, it kind of answered, at least as far as I could catch, everything felt like it was answered in one way or another. In that case, then give me your spoiler free
0: review. Well, I would say that if you get the opportunity to, to see it, it's a definite, like, it's a definitely must see, I think, because not just because of the subject matter, but because of the not just the the music or the the kind of the world that it lives in, let me say that. Not just because of the world it lives in, but because of the subject matter that it tackles is the reason that you should see it. And it gives a very interesting perspective and point of view on on those subjects that it tackles. And as far as a character study, this is like Bar None, probably one of the best character studies that we're going to get this year. And if she does win best actress this year, I whenever the Oscars are next year, uh I would not be surprised because she became this character. Um I think it's a must see. I'm not sure if it's on my top 10 of the year yet because I think there's probably a handful of things that I haven't seen yet that I am a little bit more an- anticipating and I could probably almost tell that they were going to be in my top 10. I think this one has the possibility of edging its way in, but I'll have to kind of wait and see. But I think it is a movie that everyone should see, definitely.
1: For my spoiler-free review, I know I will see movies this year that I enjoy more than this movie. And I know that there will be movies on my top 10 list that I place higher than this movie. But I can guarantee that a lot of those movies, if not all of them, are not as good as this movie. I can appreciate it on all fronts. Technical craft, performance, writing, sound design. In terms of how the movie is made and shot, it is Kubrickian
0: yeah. in its quality. That's, that's a good comparison. Yeah.
1: In terms of a crafted movie, that yes, the 100% I'm going to rate movies higher than this, this in my list that are nowhere near as good as this movie. This movie is superlative from start to beginning on pretty much all fronts. I would say it is, just like Eric said, it is an absolute must watch in the theatre. Must watch this year. It really is. Character study wise, we're talking a movie on par, in my opinion, with There Will Be Blood in terms of like the plain view character up there with the Lydia Tarr character. I also saw a lot of people mentioning Daniel Day Lewis's performance in Phantom Thread. It's flawless and fascinating and an original, unique character, a, new, a wholly new character for us to. Yeah which is very rare. It's an excellent, excellent movie. Everybody's at the top top of the game with this movie. There's just something about it that stops it, really. And I don't know what it is, but I think it could be a movie that grows in time in my expectations, or like my my opinion of this movie will probably grow over time because it's already really high. But I just, there was something that stopped me connecting to it on a personal level. And I think that's the only reason that's separating me from this movie is like I didn't get, there's just something that I didn't get in it. And I don't know what that is, or it, it, maybe it's just because I have a preference for like movies that I can relate to, and I don't really relate to anybody in this movie or any of the themes in this movie. Sure, I probably should, but I don't, you know. And I think maybe it's that personal connection for me is what's holding me back from just really, really pushing this movie and saying, "Oh, it's easily one of the best of the year." It is one of the best of the year, if not probably. I would. You could argue
0: that it is the best movie that came out this year. It's just not my best movie. <laughs> That's completely fair. That's absolutely fair. I mean, I would say the same thing. It's interesting that you brought up a Daniel day Lewis, because I would say that it's on par with there will be blood where you go into there, there will be blood. And you're expecting this, you're expecting this movie that is just going to be so over the top, like with like violence and, and, and drama and just madness but you're watching a two and a half hour movie about the early oil industry and you're riveted by it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you no. Know? So so it's 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 on that same kind of level. If you really loved that movie, then this will kind of tick all the boxes for you.
1: With Plainview being like this human metaphor for all these other all, all these other things and set in a world that people don't have a lot of knowledge of that would normally seem very dry and very like when you watch the movie, it's thrilling and unsettling and disturbing and exciting. That's what Tara is too. You know, you take, you take an environment that no people don't really want like know anything about. And then you have this like hyper enigmatic lead character who is basically just this, she's almost not even a real person, a force of nature that just describes everything else that's going on around it. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. That's a really, I think the comparison between those two movies is very, very warranted. And, um, and I think it's fair. I, I was a little worried of the comparisons to that movie going into this because I didn't want it just to be a, a movie that's just a performance. You know, it is a movie that's just a performance, but it's, it's so much more than just the performance. And the performance really is your your bar, like your entry to everything.
0: It's a, it's a movie about that, that one performance, but the themes of it are a little bit more universal in a way. Topical in it, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Interesting with the There Will Be Blood comparison too. The only the only difference is is that Plainview has a counterfoil. There's another perf, a big performance running against his. Now, obviously, Dano's character in There Will Be Blood, Paul Dano's performance, whilst being very good, is it's he's kind of outmatched uh, and outgunned by Day Lewis in that. But Todd does not have that, which is really interesting. There's no like real opposition to Lydia Todd. She is plain view without anybody kind of butting heads against it, except yeah. <laughs> yeah. the world is kind of butting heads against it.
0: That that's what yeah, that, the court of public that's opinion. Interesting. Yeah. That's that's our perspective character, right? So it's like if you don't like her, you're not gonna like this movie. If you don't, I don't even know if like is the right word. If you don't kind of involve yourself with a character not i i don't I don't necessarily want to say empathize with the character, but can um or not even find yourself within the character because that's kind of a a scary revelation about yourself uh, I guess <laughs> we'll get into that um yeah, we'll get into that um but yeah, that counterbalance of that character is the world itself and I don't know if people can kind of deal with that perspective or not because it's just it's too it's too much it's too much almost so if you don't like uh, this character at all it's going to be a it's going to be a tough go I think oh 100% okay
1: so it's going to be a good uh, spoiler filled discussion we're going to take a break and when we come back yeah. we'll do our <laughs> usual we'll get into spoilers thank you.
0: All right, and we're back. Um, so now we're going to get into the spoilers of this movie, uh, Tar, starring Kate Blanchett. And I mean, she might be the biggest name in this movie. I don't know that I recognized anyone else in it. Maybe, maybe her mentor, maybe her mentor. I think I could be wrong about this, but I want to say that her mentor was in Game of Thrones. I could be completely wrong about that. But every time I looked at him, I was just thinking, the guy looks like he was in Game of Thrones. Yeah, he does, Um, he totally looks like he was in Game of Thrones. He does, yeah, I think he might've been one of the uh, masters or maesters, he was. Called, he was. Uh, I'm just Thrones. gonna
1: say, was that, he? Well, I'm just saying that he was. I'm. I'm <laughs> I put money on him being in Game of Thrones because he looks so familiar to me.
0: Yeah, he. Yeah, he really did. He looks super familiar. But I mean, I, she's. Oh, take that back. M- I forgot. Mark Strong's in it, but he's. He's wearing. He's wearing one of the most ridiculous wigs you'll ever see. <laughs> they should have just left him bald. I don't know why they did. That. I
1: know. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so we're getting into spoilers. Uh go watch the movie, come back, you know. Now go watch the movie, take some time to like cleanse your soul a little <laughs> bit. I mean, take a day with it and then uh and then come back and and listen. So what do you want to get into first? I mean, we can get into the ending, but I think that I I want to talk a little bit about how kind of confused I was in the beginning. I didn't understand that the person that was watching her initially was the person who killed themselves i had no idea like like zero idea and also i was having a hard time following the kind of text chain and the email chain that happened because it 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 was on screen for such a short amount of time i wasn't able to kind of read and digest the conversations that were going on now later when you get a little bit more uh, context about the relationship between uh, Tar, her assistant, which is uh, Francesca, and then the, the girl who killed herself, Krista? Krista, yeah. Yeah, Krista was her name. When you get the kind of context of that, of that relationship, then I put it all together at that point. Um, but up until then, I didn't understand the kind of relationship that was going on at all. Did you pick it up right away?
1: No, I didn't. The importance of the the cell phone footage at the beginning of the movie is huge in terms of what happens with the rest of the movie. But when it happened, I was just kind of confused and I kind of like pushed that out of my brain when the movie actually started. And we got into the main interview. This is my interpretation of what happens in the movie. So Lydia Tarr is over the years, obviously with her success, she has um, a proclivity to abuse her power and she has very much into using that position of power to collect trophies, I guess, young up-and-coming musicians who she kind of must, I guess, seduce in a way. Basically, once she's had a fun with them, she dumps them and moves on to the next one. I guess she's been doing this for a while. So she was involved in a relationship with a young student called Krista, and I believe, so this is my question to you. So her assistant, Francesca, I get the impression that Francesca and Krista were both involved with Lydia at one point, And I think at the same time, and I think through this period of time, uh, she obviously took Francesca on as her assistant, but then pretty much kind of iced out Krista. Not only did she do that, but then she went as far as to blacklist her from everything, you know, being like recommended to the orchestra saying, hey, this woman's crazy. You don't want to use her." So I guess as a way, her way of doing damage control was to completely ostracize this person, which in the long run turned out to bite her in the ass because it was probably the worst thing
0: she could have done. So question, I, I have a question real quick before you finish. Um, do you think that Francesca and Krista were vying for the same position and and Francesca is the one that got chose? I think potentially, yeah.
1: Because uh, Francesca does have that line when I guess she tells Lydia that, hey, we used to be so close. It was just us three we used to have this like such a great relationship going because francesca is a musician too she's not just her personal assistant she's up and coming artist musician and i think yeah she so she gave francesca the position she probably favored her more and then i think that's what happened and and then when krista was kind of ostracized from that circle it the pressure on her and then she had because what the book that Lydia receives and you know she goes into the restroom and she's like looking through and she pushes it in the trash which is on the private plane
0: I didn't understand that either
1: yeah that book was from Krista okay and I think Krista was just constantly trying to reach out to her being like hey hey I still love you or whatever I'm still obsessed with you so yeah
0: and I didn't put that together till later on in the movie so I think really that see that's the reason that's the reason I need to watch it again because there's like there's stuff like that throughout the entire movie oh yeah one hundred percent you only get you only get a clip uh, a quick glimpse at and you're like if you don't pick up the clue right away then it's like they don't they don't go back and cover it again so
1: to finish the recap then we are introduced to the situation with Krista Krista therefore kills herself Francesca is devastated by this but not only by that she's also furious at Lydia for not caring and not giving a shit so basically francesca throws lydia under the bus and then lydia starts to get investigated as being involved not di- directly with her death so once all of this leaks then all the information gets out of her just ahead of her book launch just ahead of her performance of the berlin symphony orchestra of the big recording that she's doing that we see her rehearsing for the whole movie and then essentially her world starts to crumble she is essentially cancelled. And then she finds herself in the same situation that Krista was, which is being forced out of everything in that world. And then Lydia loses her family, she loses uh, her, I, her wife and her adopted daughter. And then we see the, the aftermath of that, which is when Lydia is basically kind of in career ruins and like picking herself up from the ground, which is the, which we'll get into, which is the, the last third of the last eighth of the movie. That's pretty much the plot. Thematically Eric. What would you say, like, with the big themes from from that
0: story? It's obviously a i i i would i would guess it's a Me Too mo- a movie, you know, but just at a different perspective, you know, it's an abuse. It's about an abuse of power, uh, from her, from from an individual, and how she kind of manipulates everyone around her. It's not necessarily about all the people that. Orbit around her. They they are not kind of the focal point of the movie. It's everything that is happening to Lydia's character that that we're kind of that we're meant to kind to focus in on. So that's that's when I that's when I mean when I say that if you're not invested in who Lydia is, you're going to be thrown off by the movie because Lydia is a a pretty much a horrible person, you know. And if you can't, in the same way that that Plainview was a horrible person, but you were still rooting for him, this this is kind of the same thing. It's 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 Lydia's story story. She's a horrible person, but you but for some reason you are like you're pulling for her, and it is a horrible thing to to want to pull for her to kind of to get out of the situation. Because she's done everything to herself. Because it's about power. It's about ego. It's about pulling herself up from a, almost a rags to riches sort of story. She came from nothing. You find that out where she came from, absolutely nothing, and uh, was probably never picked up as far as like not uh, not physically, but just like emotionally picked up by the people who are around her and supported. In a certain way, so she's had to build this character of uh, of Lydia her entire life because you find out Lydia obviously isn't her name. I think her real name is like Linda or something like that, Linda Tar. So she's created this, this character. So if you're not invested in her creation, then you're going to have a hard time with this movie. Now, it's about her rise and fall. Some people might say it's about her rise and fall and rise. But you're not you're not going to be you're not going to be sure about that last part. I think I tend to side more with the with the former rather than the latter. I think it's her fall. I don't think she's ever coming out of it in the same way that you see other canceled people of today. There are these um, great artists that came out of uh, out of the Hollywood system who are horrendous people and the art that they created was bigger than the people that they are but there's no way that they're going to come back from it and they don't deserve to either um so that's those are the themes of the movie it's like it's power it's ego it is how you empathize with a horrible person do they deserve redemption i don't think that she does because she, i don't know she's just a, such a horrible she's done horrible things. She's ruined people's lives. She's kept others from kind of achieving what their dreams might've been because they, it it would have taken away kind of the shine of, the shine off of her. So there's something, there's something, and it's kind of funny, like there's something that you can kind of construe comical by the end of it. And I didn't necessarily see it as comical. I saw it as like, so brutal what happened to her um that you can't help but kind of chuckle as it's happening um but i i wouldn't say that it was a chuckle out of just like oh that's kind of funny or just like a slapsticky sort of way you're like it's 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 humorous because it just it's ultimately tragic it's almost shakespearean what happens to her so that's kind of like my big thought on like the different themes that that are um in the movie itself
1: so i heard that todd field i can't quote this direct i don't know i read this but i think todd field is on the record of saying that it's been like 16 years since he's made a movie his last movie was little children with kip kit winslet i think so a long time and he said that he was thinking about cancel culture in in today's environment uh in the way it post me to i guess post everything because well it, it feels like we're post all of these big events he couldn't really get his head around it. He was trying to figure it out. So that's part of the reason why he made this movie. So obviously, I think what the movie is talking about, but I think that there's, there's plenty of other themes that go hand in hand with this that are also being addressed in this movie. Gender, talking about gender politics in a big way, I think this movie, mm-hmm. it's talking about sexuality in a big way, power, the abuse of power. So not necessarily just the from the Me Too Weinstein Kind of element of it in cancel culture, but also the abuse of power in institutions that have been, you know, old institutions that have never been fully that are outdated. Now that feels very outdated. Institutions that are like patriarchal. Yeah. Because whilst Ta is a woman, she's still really playing that role in that patriarchy
0: of classical music. She operates different in in that role. She she's not yeah she's not operating. I don't know how to put it. She's operating more in kind of a patriarchal uh, setting and uh, psychology, I guess.
1: No, yeah, she's a fascinating character because the movie even talks about the beginning when he's talking about, he mentions the fact that she's a woman in the interview, the guy who's talking about her career, he keeps bringing up the fact that she's a woman in this field. And Tar, Lydia Tar is very quick to dismiss that and dismiss the importance of the fact that she's a woman. In her position so she she talks about other women but she's talking about it's it's like she's not she's not hung up on the fact that what she's doing is great because she's a woman she's more hung up on the fact that what she's doing is because she's great you know as opposed to being so you couldn't theoretically swap her out and swap Blanchett out and put a a male character in this performance easily but i think the movies by the movie not doing that and not making a direct parallel to your Kevin Spacey's or your Harvey Weinstein's or whoever, by making her a woman is very clever because I think there is gender politics at play in the fact of how we react to what she does based around the fact that she's a woman and how we react to that environment, or that situation, which is typically only men who get cancelled, really. I mean, with the exception of like J.K. Rowling, I can't think of many other women who've been cancelled recently. It's mainly men.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I don't, off the top of my head, I couldn't say. Yeah. And I think that by making her a
1: woman is interesting because we, I was, I keep thinking about this, right? I keep thinking about when we were in the parking lot afterwards, we were talking about people who'd been canceled and, and, and I mentioned, so you, you brought up Kevin Spacey, right? And I was like, oh yeah, but it's, I mean, Tar's not like Spacey because Spacey was a monster, right? If you look up what Spacey was accused of doing, it's not that much worse than what Tar was accused of doing.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. But for some yeah.
1: reason, for some reason, I defaulted to Spacey as a monster, okay? And not Tar was a monster. The whole time I'm like, well, Tar wasn't that bad, but Tar was that bad. (laughs) But because she's a woman, and this is probably saying something about me, and it probably is, but because she was a woman, I gave her more of a pass than I think I would have done if she was a man. Yeah. And we, we talked about this. I have a, we'll get into it as, as I'm not going to drop it right now. We'll get into it. So I think the movie's doing some clever things in terms of bringing up these themes, but not taking a position on them. It doesn't feel like I'm being lectured about anything. It doesn't feel like the movie is really, really taking a position. It's showing what's happening and it's showing the events of what would happen in this situation. At no point does the movie tell me that she's a monster, and at no point does it also tell me that she's not a monster. It's very on the fence about this. Not but no, it's not on the fence. I think the movie is just questioning these situations, but not preaching to me anything.
0: Yeah, I mean it goes into it goes into gender politics, and the funny thing is she I don't think she fully understands gender politics, you know, her character. I don't think she does either. Yeah, there's that whole classroom scene. Where she is trying to uh understand or explain to the student. Um, I can't I can't remember what he identified. I, I think he he's pan. He's no, he's bisexual. He's a bisexual person of color. That's how he dec- BIPOC. I thought I thought he said something about pansexual. I was I thought that's what I heard. But um, yeah, she was trying to get into this whole, well, what about what about Beethoven? What about uh the this composer and like and and all these horrible things that the that these white men have done over time but can you separate her her basic her basic layman's argument was can you separate is it possible to separate and and his his conclusion was no you can't and you're wrong and then he walks out of the class sort of thing and she's just like well he just doesn't get it sort of thing so she as as we're kind of messing around with the with uh, the the stereotypical like the patriarchal theme and then gender politics, it's interesting because they swap that character out with a character who doesn't understand uh, current uh, gender politics, right? Um, and that's what that's what makes it interesting or maybe she, maybe she does understand it but doesn't acknowledge it at all because she, she can't or doesn't have the capacity to acknowledge it within that world because that world is predominantly occupied by men, if that makes sense at all. That one scene, I think,
1: is not only is this the focus in the conversation around this movie. I mean, that movie kind of really encapsulates what this whole movie is about. I think that one little section, it, it doesn't entirely because I think the movie is about so many more things than this, but- yeah. It's definitely the conversation right now is about her conversation with that guy. And what's funny is, is I don't know if he's... So I was going through YouTube trying to find some kind of like a critical analysis of this movie. Sure. It's too soon for this. But what I did come across though, which is kind of disheartening, was a lot of people openly supporting this movie and supporting her character in in saying that the movie is about destroying woke culture in the fact that her argument against this young man, which is very cleverly put. So her argument, basically, it's unfair of you to judge Mozart's music based on the person that he is, because when you're on stage and you're performing, you do not want the people watching you to judge you on the fact that you're bisexual and that you're black and that you're on stage doing this thing. You can't have your cake and eat it. You can't judge other people's art based on who they are when you don't want your art to be judged based on who you are, which is very clever. Mm. But it also feels like one of those very, very clever incel arguments where it seems very tight logically, oh, yeah, but yeah, yeah. yeah. The, in the, in you, you argue with logic as opposed to the heart because really these matters come down. Art is subjective art comes down to feelings and in in how we view things. So it is to do with the heart. It can't just be based on logic. So she's arguing his point against him using pure logic, which logically that makes a hundred percent sense, right? What I've seen a lot of people running with a lot of dickheads on the on the internet running with is the fact like, oh, this movie's awesome because she's destroying woke culture. And that that argument is so locked tight that it's it's crushing woke culture. And, and I think if you're saying woke culture in the first place, you're already losing the argument because I think it's got nothing to do with woke culture. It, that has nothing to do with what we're talking about. We're talking about abuse of power and we're talking about, so that's not woke. And I using the word woke is stupid because it doesn't really mean anything. It's such a stupid, like, and I think if you're, if you're using that, you're already losing whatever point you're trying to make, because it's stupid and it's redundant. So I don't like the fact that a lot of people are using the logic that her character is providing is this airtight argument against what they don't, people don't want to confront because it's not an airtight argument. And we talked about that in the sense that like, so I like Michael Jackson, okay. And I really like Michael Jackson's music. I have to separate the fact of what he's accused of doing with, with the music that he makes. And I think we're talking about this, well, we're we're talking about the separate that what she's talking about is a separation between art and the artist. She's not talking about walk culture. She's talking about that very basic, simple premise, right? Which I, I would like to say that I'd adhere to. Okay. But, I can I can quite confidently say that I can separate Michael Jackson's music from Michael Jackson as a person. I can quite confidently say that I think Kevin Spacey is a phenomenal actor, and I love watching his performances despite of what he's done. I can say all of these things, but you know why I can say all of those things? Why? Because I'm a straight white guy who's never had anything done against me.
0: <laughs> okay? Yeah,
1: so yeah, I can easily yeah. say, yes, I separate the art because I have never been made to feel, I've never been punished because of the way I look. I've never been punished or held back in society because of my my religion or anything. I've had as much of a free pass as any other white dude has had. So I can I can quite honestly stand there and say she is Lydia Tar's argument is one hundred percent correct. Okay, and then and I can say yes, I can totally separate the argument. Now, if I was a woman who has been abused by a man in power physically or had to go through anything of that, would I feel differently about? Well, we'll use the other example, right? If I was a child who'd been abused by a sexual predator, somebody who I thought was a, somebody I would I looked up to, and I was physically sexually abused as a child, would I be able to turn around and go, "Oh, yeah, I still like Michael Jackson's music"? No, I wouldn't be able to do that.
0: No, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You you draw you draw lines pretty fast. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. So there's no clear-cut answer to that problem. That's why the movie is very clever, in my opinion, because it's not trying to give an answer to that problem. It's talking about it as many sides as it can without trying to preach because really there is no clear-cut solution to this. There really isn't. And I think that's what's clever. And I think that's what's interesting about the argument, which is what's
0: interesting about the movie, which is
1: what's interesting about
0: Lydia Tarr. But so here, here's the thing. This is a small part of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it is it's kind of it yeah it's it's a it's a theme within the movie that is a third maybe a third of what the themes are within the movie 100 you know there yeah i mean there there's a there's a lot going on here um as far as 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 far as that i mean that's that's encompassed within the the gender politics the um the kind of me too politics of it, uh, but is also kind of wrapped into kind of her power and ego uh, and her kind of pretentious nature within it. But the weird thing is it, it is that I think, I think at the core of it, it is all, it is an act that she has created for herself because of where she comes from. She comes from nothing. And it's probably the, the construction of what she thought this ultimate version of herself kind of is supposed to be. Now, that doesn't take away the responsibility of her as a person from the things that she's done. I think it is, this is what she assumed that this character or this person is supposed to be, if that, if that kind of makes sense to you. So you're saying that she's like, she is a, she's, It's a performance. Lydia Tarr is a character that she's playing. I I would think Lydia Tarr is a character that she has constructed because if you you look at her throughout the entire movie, once you kind of get a look by the ending, once you get a look at where she's come from, that kind of dingy little New York tiny house, wood paneling everywhere, and when she opens her closet, you can see her childhood basically and how that manifested itself and then she's watching these old tapes of uh conductors and and how they presented themselves and she's wearing her little awards that she has won um so at that point you you kind of understand how she constructed this character I mean she changed her name uh to become this this thing that she always dreamed of being um so I don't I think probably initially once, once it happened, she, there were noble intentions, but once you get a taste of celebrity fame, power, and you don't know how you're going to deal with it, she went the wrong way with it because she's probably never had that, that amount of attention before in her life. And that's not to say that she couldn't have made the right decisions and held that seat for the rest of her life. It's just, she was, she was confronted with that much kind of power and prestige, probably very fast. And it just went reckless with it. Um, I don't know. I think by the end of it, when she's at the, um, when she's at that kind of that conference, the video game conference, basically that she's constructing the, the, the orchestra for, um, I think that that is the character of Linda Tarr.
1: Interesting.
0: Yeah, I don't think that's Lydia anymore. Lydia Tar was the person at the top of the mountain. When she's Linda Tar, when she's going back to what is it, Malaysia or whatever, it, whatever it is, she's at the bottom of the mountain. She's like, there's this great scene where where they're going down this boat, and she's like, can we can we go for a swim? And then there's this waterfall, and she's inside the mountain. She's looking out. That is that's Linda Tar, you know, at the bottom at the bottom of the mountain starting at the at the very bottom of everything that that was her kind of that was almost like that's where she started to kind of build that name build that character of Lydia Tar because you get that that information in the beginning like she she stayed with the this uh, i think indigenous tribe I could be getting this wrong to kind of understand sound this and that and that's where um I think she's starting to form this this kind of psychology and this character and and this persona that eventually builds its way all the way up to the top. Um, so this is almost kind of a a a reverse of that, you know, where it's like this is where she started and th- and. Now we're kind of back, we're back to square one, and there's no going up the mountain again. That's kind of like a weird, long. No, <laughs> I, love of, I, I, I love that though. I love that. Well, it's a weird, long kind of idea, like vomit uh, or, or like like critical thought of the, like the whole situation. No, I
1: love that. And I love, I love how you said that we, we start with Lydia Tarr and we end with Linda Tarr. Yeah, the distinction between what's that saying is that absolute power corrupts absolutely. I think, I think a bit. Yeah, I, th- I think so. The issue isn't men abusing power. It's, par- it's people in power abusing power. Maybe, it's, I, maybe it's that's why we're talking about Lydia Tart and not like Frank Jones. You know what I mean? Or whatever. Frank Tar? We're talking about Lydia Tart. My question to you then, I guess, is where do you personally stand with Lydia? I, I guess what I'm trying to ask is I think we went to see this movie with Zach. And Zach took the ending of the movie very differently, I think, than you and I did. And Zach also, by his own admission, I don't think you'd be annoyed at me for saying this on, on the episode, but he was actively rooting for the demise of Lydia towards the end of the movie, yeah. where he was like, I thought she was an asshole and I wanted to see her get her comeuppance.
0: How about you? I think that's a fair assessment. I think that is that's completely fair that, to have that opinion. Absolutely. I, she deserves what she gets. I think the th- I think the thing is, is, is you, there's a part of you that wants to see a redemption story for that character because that character is so interesting. And that is not to say that you don't recognize how monstrous she is. You know, she's a horrible, horrible person. But I think by the ending where you get a look into, who her character was and that you, you get a look into the psychology of that child. She would, she was probably a child prodigy. She was probably a very kind of special child in the sense that she understood the world that she was interested in and excelled in it. And everybody, she got a lot of attention for it probably at a, at a very young age. And you, you kind of, you want to root a little bit for that, child that kid who initially fell in love with the with that world unfortunately she became what she became so yeah it's fair to say you hope that she doesn't get a redemption story at all but i think it's also fair to say that there is redemption that can be found within that character if she does the right things but you but we'll never know so
1: but then wouldn't that be like saying there's redemption to be had for Kevin Spacey or there's redemption
0: for that's, Louis C.K. or yeah. whatever? Yeah, yeah, I mean, that. yeah, that's a fair question. That's a fair question. I just
1: think that's what's know? interesting about
0: But the, the thing is, is they're real people. This isn't. <laughs> I, I, I guess, I know. But then you know?
1: really, what's the difference between Lydia Tarr and Louis C.K.? They might as well both be fake people for all I know because I don't know them. And they both exist in worlds that I don't understand and I can't comprehend. So they're as abstract as one another.
0: I yeah, I mean abstract is is really the right word there. Um I think I in the sense of a character or a character study, or if you are if you're interested in kind of the creation of of what makes a person or what makes a character, I, I think everybody wants a uh, a redemptive quality within within characters. I mean, I don't know, look at Darth Vader, I guess. <laughs> I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, I, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to say. It's hard to say. It's, it's, it's completely acceptable and fair what happens to her. And that's, that's what I mean by you, you get kind of a little chuckle at the end because it's weird. You almost think that it kind of, it tricks you into thinking that she may be pulling herself back up to the position that she lost because of her background and where she kind of ends up. But in reality, it's like she's at the, she, she basically is putting on a concert with people who just graduated high school or are high school orchestra players, you know, for a, a video game conference. Yeah. Like a world of Warcraft. Name. And it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's so brutal. It's so kind of brutal. The, the, the position that she finds herself in, but, but, She's still within the world to a certain degree, where you can't say the same thing about Spacey. You can't say the same thing about Weinstein or like any any of those people who who committed those horrible crimes you know they're they're never ever going to be in that world again at all, where she could probably eke out a living doing what she's doing now, you know.
1: Yeah, it's tricky. I think it's very interesting that this movie came out alongside Black Adam, the rock movie. Because by all intents and purposes, Black Adam is about somebody who has incredible power, who probably, because it's a comic book movie, probably murders hundreds, if not thousands of people. Hundreds. In yeah. the wake of his destruction. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But then he's yeah. given a redemption arc in which he is allowed to overcome the forces of evil, and we are all supposed to root for him throughout the movie. Yeah. Jump across to Tar and frame it in the real world and frame it. In, you know what I mean? It's yeah. very interesting, <laughs> like side by side. Yeah. The reason I asked if how you felt about Tar was because, and I admitted this to Zach, and I and I don't know what this says about me. I genuinely don't know what this says about me. But I was rooting for Tar the entire. I was rooting for Lydia the entire movie. I was rooting for her to get away with it. <laughs> I was rooting for her to out Fox. The people who were trying to to uh, take her down, and I really liked her. Now, what does that say about me? God, now we now we open up a can of worms because, well, what does that say about me? <laughs> because I had the polar opposite uh, reaction to what Zach had. Now, is that because I am fascinated with the idea of greatness, and I think I'm fascinated by brilliance and exceptionalism? To which I think it's interesting when. We see statues and in, in, in memorials for Kobe Bryant everywhere. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. Who's yeah, been immortalized yeah, yeah. No, because yeah, he died. Yeah, but Kobe Bryant had serious serious allegations for which there was settled outside of court for money, as far as I understand. So, but he's immortalized. Okay. Then we have I keep saying Kevin Spacey because I just think I can't think of anybody. Uh, you know. but well, Then we have Kevin Spacey who Franco. You wouldn't like they wouldn't even hire him at Panera. You know what I mean? Because he's so <laughs> toxic and evil, and he's the worst person that's ever lived. Okay, yeah. yeah. Both were accused of doing something pretty bad. Uh, both were never actually found guilty, and I guess the Spacey case was just thrown out. But it's just weird. It's it's a weird situation, and it's weird. And I and to go back to Tar and Lydia Tar and my weird routine for her, and it's and I think it's to do with the fact that yeah, that I do put exceptionalism on a pedestal, and I'm fascinated by people who are the best at what they do
0: and i am i i think i think anybody is like like i will i'll watch videos like on youtube and stuff like that from from people doing things that i have no real interest in pursuing in real life but i enjoy watching them because they're the best at what they do and they have passion about it about what they do and it is it's fascinating to watch people excel in a field that you say you don't know anything about, you know, be it sports, be it competitions, be whatever, you know, I think, I think that's kind of a, a human thing to, to root for people who excel far and be of far and beyond their, um, other human kind of counterparts in, in that, in that, uh, setting. So I think it's it's very kind of natural. Now it's not healthy. I I, I would <laughs> assume it's not super because you're singer You're you're singularly focused on one thing and you disregard everything else. And in that, you can become the character of Lydia Tar.
1: One hundred percent. Yeah, it's like I like shocks.
0: You know what I mean? Yeah. I like shocks. I,
1: I I'm interested in the notion of somebody who operates with only their own rules who um, does not seem to play by the rules of uh, asking for forgiveness, um, being shy, being withholding, uh, being uh, scared or fearful. Like I probably find myself in almost all interactions, whether it's at work or in in my social life, Um, as somebody like that, I like shocks. So when I see Lydia, who seems to just complete, A, she seems unremorseful, ultimately throughout yeah, the whole no movie, she doesn't really yeah. seem remorseful for what she did the whole time now is that cuz she's a sociopath or a narcissist probably both um and and I'm not fit to like do the psychology I don't understand that behind her character but like I said I like shocks I like people who um are so strong in their convictions that they don't need the they don't need to ask permission from other people to do what they want to do I I find and, and that, that's probably because so I guess what I'm saying is is perhaps and I'm the reason I like Lydia Tar and the reason that I was rooting for her is because there, there's something I see in her that I feel like I lack in myself. Now, that's not all of her bad traits because I'm I'm I would never do the things that she does. At least we all assume that we wouldn't until we're put in that position where we can do those things. Yeah. In which case most of us probably would do those things. <laughs> um that's another another discussion that the movie's obviously talking about. But yeah, maybe is there something in her that I I feel like I admire. And it's obviously you admire and others what you lack in yourself. So,
0: yeah. So the, th- yeah, the thing is, is, is she's a villain yeah, and everybody, villain. Lo- and everybody loves a villain. That's, it's as simple as that.
1: Yeah. She is. She's Cruella villain You know what I mean? Yeah. She's
0: like. Every, everybody loves a good villain. Everybody loved the Joker and, in the Dark Knight. So you could boil it down to that. You know, I, w- I was, I was rooting for Daniel Plainview the entire time and he, and you get to watch him murder someone at the end, and you're still rooting for him. Yeah, so. and you're like, kill that motherfucker. No, you're not. Well, yeah. so, you know, <laughs> I, I don't mean, know. Um, I mean,
1: it's, it's the same thing. The more I talk about the movie, the more I like the movie, that's always a sign of a, like, it's always a good sign. And But the more I talk about any movie, the more I like the movie. It doesn't matter if it's a great movie like Tar or if it's a terrible movie like Halloween Ends, I'm going to, the more I think about it, the more I'm going to like it, just the way it is, you know? um have we missed anything was there anything else you wanted to cover eric
0: i don't i mean i don't think so there's um yeah she's a horrible character but i mean she there are some uh moments of tenderness when it comes to her child and they go into that but for the most part um she's a villain and it is worth watching the the rise and fall of that character 100 percent very very
1: strong recommend from me i would urge you to go and see it above honestly above all else that's out of the theater right now there's nothing right now currently showing that touches this movie on any level in my opinion uh i haven't seen black adam perhaps black adam is better than tar i don't know um i'm sure the rock is going to be up for oscar consideration this year based around his performance (laughs) just looking at the trailer um other than that no there's nothing else close to it right now so it's a huge recommend from me same same yeah well that concludes our first episode back from my vacation uh thank you eric once again thanks everybody to li- for listening i always say thanks everybody to listening it's like i have this weird mental thing where i can't say thanks to everybody for <laughs> listening that's how i should say it i have to rush to work that's why i'm nipping it in the bud right now <laughs> first day back after vacation you know how great that is
0: i don't know what vacations are so i i don't know what that's about yeah poor eric
1: <laughs> so somewhere softly playing in the background just a tiny little violin playing just a little violin Yeah, yes.
0: played by steve see,
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay thanks eric thanks everybody have a great rest of your day see
0: ya